Chapter 2 of Small Souls by Louis Couperus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doreen van Loer lived by herself in a boarding house, though old Mrs. van Loer had a large house in the Alexanderstraat. Their friends all thought this odd, and Doreen was a little perplexed at having constantly to explain that she would have liked nothing better than to live with Mamma and keep house with Mamma and look after Mamma and spoil Mamma. But, as a girl of twenty-two, she had left home to become a nurse, and, when she found that she had mistaken her vocation, Mamma had refused to let her come back. But surely, Mamma, who was so fond of gathering all her children round her, the friends would say. Yes, that was so, said Doreen. Mamma doted on her brood, and yet she preferred to be alone in her big house. She preferred to do her housekeeping herself, and did not care to have anyone staying with her or fussing about her. No, it was better that Doreen should stop in her boarding house. Mamma was still so active, saw to everything, knew about everything. Doreen would have been of no use to her at home. Besides, Mamma herself wouldn't hear of it, and used to say laughingly, but quite in earnest, Those who go away can stay away. And the Van Loer's friends thought it odd, for the old lady was known for just that motherly quality of hers, for loving to keep all her children round her in a close family circle, at the Hague or in the immediate neighbourhood. And she did not look at all a difficult old lady, with her gentle, refined old face of a waxy pallor, and her smooth grey hair. Not at all a managing old dame who could not possibly live in the same house with her unmarried daughter. And so Doreen was always a little perplexed at having to explain, especially as she herself thought it odd of Mamma. But Mamma was what she was, and it couldn't be helped. Doreen felt less tired after she had had some dinner and changed her clothes, and she put on her galoshes and went on to Mamma's at once. The rawness of the March evening bore down on the deserted Javastrat with a shudder of dripping fog. It had rained all day, and now the heavy grey sky was blotted from sight, in a mist that clung in masses of woolly dampness to the roofs and treetops. The wind whistled from the northwest and skimmed over the rippling puddles, the trees dripped as heavily as though it were still raining, and the pale yellow light in the clouded street lamp shimmered down upon the street. Hardly anyone was out of doors so early after dinner. A man, carrying a parcel, left a shop and shuffled close to the houses, with wide hurrying legs. Doreen tripped across the puddles in her galoshes, hugging herself in her old-fashioned long fur cloak and she talked to herself, and muttered out loud. She grumbled at the rain, grumbled at all the trouble which Mamma had given her that day, sending her to all the brothers and sisters for Constance's sake. And you'd see, Constance wouldn't even be grateful to her. Constance would think it only natural. Everyone always thought it only natural that Doreen should run about for the family, and no one was ever really grateful. Everyone was selfish. Mamma included. Well, she would try it herself one day, being selfish, 
and sit all day long by her fire, as Carol always did, and live only for herself, for her own pleasure, and leave them all to their fate. Just imagine, supposing tomorrow she were to say to Bertha and Adolphine, whose girls were soon to be married, that she had no time to go on everybody's errands. It was always Doreen. Doreen could do it all. Doreen didn't mind the rain. Doreen had to be in the Weinerstraat anyhow. Running about, running about, running about without stopping, all out of sheer silly good nature. And who thanked her for it? Nobody. Not Mamma, nor Bertha, nor Adolphine. It was all taken as a matter of course. Well, she would like to see their faces tomorrow if she said, I've no time, you know, or I'm staying at home today, or I'm feeling rather tired. Doreen feeling tired. What next? Still grumbling, she rang the bell at Mamma's in the Alexanderstraat. She took off her things in the hall, and now she emerged from her long cloak, a lean and wiry little woman of thirty-five, with a thin and sallow face, her breast shrunk within a painfully tight, dark silk blouse, her dull, mud-coloured hair drawn tightly from her forehead into a knot at the back, very thin, with no hips, with not a single rounded line, and with those dark eyes of the Van Loers, which in her were bright and intelligent, but with an odd sort of silent reproach and secret discontent at the back of them, as though brooding under her glance. With all she had retained something very young and girlish, something innocent and gay and lively. While pulling off her gloves, she spoke pleasantly to the servant, made a playful remark about the wet weather. She felt her hair to see if it was smooth and drawn back properly, and tripped up the stairs with a swinging gait, her shoulders bobbing up and down, her legs wide apart. There was now something quite young and unconstrained in that gay liveliness of hers. She found Mamma upstairs in the double drawing-room, where Clarcher was lighting the gas. "'They're all coming, Mamma," Doreen blurted out. Then, starting when she saw the servant, she whispered, "'I've been to all of them. First to Carol, then to Bertha, then to Adolphine. No, first to Gerrit.' She became muddled, laughed, made Mamma sit down beside her, and told her what all the brothers and sisters had said. The old woman's face beamed with satisfaction. She kissed Doreen. "'You're a dear girl, Doreencha,' she said, with the motherly voice which she used when speaking to any of her children, even to Bertha, who was fifty, and which she had never learnt to give up. "'You're a dear girl to have taken so much trouble.' And it's very nice of all the others to come tonight, for I know it means a great effort to some of them to forgive and forget, and to take back Constance as a sister. And I appreciate it all the more. Mrs. Van Loer said this in a tone of approval, but a little autocratically, as though she granted her children a right to their own opinion, but yet thought it only natural that they should obey their mother's wish and she and Doreen watched the servants putting out the card-tables, one in the big drawing-room, one in the second drawing-room, and one in the boudoir. It was the sacred Sunday, the evening of the family group, as the grandchildren naughtily called it among themselves. Every Sunday, 
Mama collected as many Van Loers, Reuveners, Van Nagels, and Satsumas as she could, minding the name less than whether they were relations, even though they were only relations of relations. It was all brother and sister, uncle and aunt, cousin and cousin. Years ago, the Van Loers, Papa, the retired Governor-General, and Mama had instituted that Sunday gathering of the members of the family who happened to be at The Hague, and they had all, as far as possible, kept themselves free on Sunday evenings to come to the family group. This very regularity bore witness to the close bonds connecting the several families. Uncle Reuvener could not remember missing a single Sunday evening, except when he ran over to Java on a six-month's return ticket to see how the sugar factory was going on. The Reuveners were first, as usual, arriving very early and at once filling the rooms. Uncle, with a shiver, abused the Dutch climate. He was tall and stout, wearisome with his noisy attempts at humour, full of a superficial good nature and an affectation of kind-heartedness. He was always blundering out things that fell like a sledgehammer. He at once filled the whole room with his blustering joviality, his ponderous efforts to make himself agreeable. His sister, Mrs. Van Loer, so gentle, so distinguished, was always afraid that he would break something. Auntie was a rich nonna who had brought the sugar factory as her dowry. She too was heavy and fat, like a Hindu idol, and covered with big diamonds. Still, there was something kind and friendly about her. Looking at her, you had a vision of a spicy rice table and toothsome kwekwei, a promise of material comfort, of a lavish supply of good things to eat and drink. And with it all, she was not unsympathetic with her soft, dark eyes. They brought with them their three daughters and two sons, the two elder girls of Doreen's age, gay and boisterous, regular natives, a son of twenty-eight who was also in the sugar business when in Java, a third daughter, a couple of years younger, and the youngest son, a little brown fellow, fifteen years old, very short and thin, who seemed to have come much later, by accident. All the Van Loers, though Mama was born in India and Papa had made his way there until he reached the highest office of all, were ultra-Dutch, and always laughed a little at the Reuveners, while cheerfully resigning themselves to the Indian strain, which shocked them a bit, made them a trifle uncomfortable in the presence of their purely Dutch friends and connections. Still, the old lady, whose family affection was very strong, declared that they were in their right place there, even though Uncle Reuvener was only her half-brother, and Auntie very Indian for Mama Van Loer carried her family pride to the point of maintaining that all that formed part of the family was good. To be related to the Van Loers seemed in a sense to ennoble, to exalt, to improve the very stock. And so she always looked severe when her children, Gerrit, Adolphine and Paul, laughed at Aunt Reuvener and the Indian nieces, who were good children, always cheerful, always amiable, bright and pleasant. Uncle was very noisy, strode up and down the rooms with straddling legs to warm himself. So, we shall see Constance here tonight? Well, it is a long time since we did. 
Let me see. How long is it? How long is it, Marie? Twenty years? Yes, it must be twenty years. At least. I haven't seen her since she married the Stuffler. Lord, what a sweet child she was. What a sweet, pretty child. Twenty years ago. Why, it's an age. She must have grown old. Yes, of course she must. She must have grown old. How old is she? It's easy to reckon. She must be forty-two, eh? And van der Velke is a nice fellow, what? Very decent of him, I'm bound to say. Very decent. Mamma van Loer turned very white. Doreen gave an angry look. Tutti Rovena pulled papa's sleeve. Allah, that papa, she whispered good-naturedly to her sister Docha. No tact. Yes, Antaroivna began in a fat, slow voice. Was it so long ago? Cassian, she added sympathetically. Poor Constance, I'm so glad I'm going to see her. Papa, said Poppy Roivena, the youngest. What is it? How can you? What? You're upsetting Aunt Marie, don't you see? But good Lord! Oh, do stop about Constance. What have I said? If you don't stop, you'll make Aunt Marie cry. Don't you understand? Oh, mustn't I talk about Constance? There's always something in our family one mustn't talk about. It's beyond me. And Uncle began to stride up and down the rooms again, rubbing his hands which were still cold. Two very old aunts entered. They were the Miss Roiveners, very old ladies, turned eighty and looking more than that, unmarried sisters of Uncle and Mrs. Van Loer. Their names were Doreen and Christine, but the younger generations called them Antirina and Antitina. So nice of you, said Mrs. Van Loer. So nice. What? asked Antirina. So nice of you, Doreen, screamed Mrs. Van Loer in her ear. Marie stays, screamed Antina. It's so nice of you to come tonight. Doreen is so deaf, Marie. Really, she's getting unbearable. Antina was the young one, the tetchy one, the bitter one. Aunt Rena was the older one, the good-natured, deaf one. Outwardly, the two old ladies resembled each other and looked like old prints in their antiquated dresses. They wore black lace caps on the grey hair that framed their faces, which were wrinkled like a walnut. The old ladies went and sat far apart, and it was strange to see them sitting at either end of the drawing-room, quietly, watching attentively, not saying much. Now the others came, gradually. The first to arrive were the Fansatsumas, Adolphine, her husband, Florcha, Carolyn, Maricha, and three noisy boys, all younger than their sisters. Next came Geritz and his wife Adeline. Their children were still in the nursery. Next, Karel and Kato, still digesting their good dinner and their good wine. Ernst entered, gloomy, timid, queer and shy, as usual. Paul followed. He was the youngest son, thirty-five, good-looking, fair-haired and excessively well-dressed. Last came the Van Nagels, Bertha and her husband, the colonial secretary, with their children, the three elder girls, Louise, Emily, 
with Van Rave and her future husband, and Marianne, young Carol, and another Maritza. The two undergraduates were away, this time at Leiden. There was a general humming and buzzing. The uncles, aunts, nephews and nieces exchanged greetings. Many of them had not seen one another all the week, but they made it a rule to meet at Mamma's Sundays, and this evening there was great excitement among them all, though they restrained it for Mamma's sake. A mutual whispering and asking of opinions, because Constance was returning to The Hague, to her family, after twenty years' absence. Adolphine overwhelmed her eldest sister, Bertha van Nagel van Voorde, with a torrent of whispered words. "'It's Mamma's wish,' said Bertha, laconically, blinking her eyes. "'But what do you think? What does Van Nagel think? You surely can't think it's pleasant. Constance is our sister.' "'Our sister, our sister, if my sister misconducts herself.' "'Adolphine, Constance has been married to van der Velke for fourteen years, "'and there comes a time when one overlooks.' But what are you going to do? Will you have her at your house? Yes, of course. Adolphine had had it at the tip of her jealous tongue to say, and I suppose you'll ask her to your big dinners. But she restrained herself. The younger nephews and nieces were also busily talking. Isn't she here yet? No, she's coming later. Is she old? She's between Uncle Gerrit and Aunt Adolphine. How nervous Grandmamma is. Oh, she doesn't strike me so. Why is she so late? To make a triumphal entry. Oh, triumphal, said Flucha, Adolphine's daughter. That would be the finishing touch. There she is. Yes, I hear someone on the stairs. Granny's gone outside to meet her. And Aunt Doreen too. I'm awfully curious too. Yes, but we mustn't stare like that said Marianne van Nagel to the boys. "'Why shouldn't I if I want to?' asked Piet Satsima. "'Because it's ill-bred,' said Marianne angrily. "'Oh, indeed! It's you that's ill-bred!' "'And you're a bore!' cried Marianne, losing her temper. "'Marianne!' said her sister, Emily, soothingly. "'It's those horrid boys of Aunt Adolphine's,' muttered Marianne in her indignation. "'Then don't take any notice of them. "'Here comes Aunt Constance.' "'Mrs. Van Loer had gone to meet her daughter in the passage. "'She embraced her there. "'The door was open. "'The brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces looked out "'and at once began to talk busily to one another "'in artificial tones. "'Then Mamma came in, leading Constance by the hand. "'On her face was a smile of quiet content.' but she was trembling with nervousness. She remained standing for a moment, looking through the crowded room. Constance van der Velke, holding her mother's hand, also stopped. She was still a pretty woman, very pale, with hair beginning to go grey around her young and charming face, in which the dark eyes loomed big with anxiety. She still had the figure of a young woman, and she wore a black satin gown. There was a wait of a few seconds at the door, a pause just perceptible, yet poignant, as though a stubborn situation were being forced into the easier groove of polite manners and kind words, because of this sister's homecoming. But then, 
Bertha came up and smiled, and found the kind word and the polite manner. She kissed her younger sister, said something charming. Mrs. Van Loer beamed. The other sisters and brothers followed, the nephews, the nieces. At last, one by one, they had all welcomed her. Constance had kissed them or shaken hands, and she was deathly pale, and her black eyes trembled, misty with tears. Her voice broke, her hands shook, she felt a sinking at her knees. A passion of weeping was rising to her eyes, and she found it almost impossible to control herself. She kept hold of her mother's hand like a child, sat down by her, tried to smile and to behave normally. Her words almost choked her, her breath throttled her, her black eyes started from their sockets, quivering in her deathly pale face, and she shivered as though in a fever. She tried to do her best, to talk as though she had only been away a year, but it was no use. She had not set foot in those rooms since the day, twenty years ago, when she married Distoffola, the Dutch envoy at Rome. Since then, so much had happened in Rome, oh, so much. Her life had happened, her life of mistake upon mistake. How could she talk the usual commonplaces now? She saw herself here, twenty years ago, coming back from church in her white bridal dress. She saw her father, now dead. She saw Testophila. She saw herself, after she had changed into her travelling dress, saying goodbye, going away with Testophila. Since then, since then, she had never been back. Since then, her father had died. Since then, she had only twice seen her dear mother for a moment at Brussels. Oh, since then... Since then, all her brothers and sisters had become strangers to her, and she herself had been a stranger, never in Holland, always abroad, always an alien. Now, now she was back. Was it possible? Was it a dream? Her brother-in-law, Van Nagel, the cabinet minister, came up to her. We are very glad to see you at the Hague, Constance. Thank you, Van Nagel. And shall we soon be making van der Velke's acquaintance? There was something in his words, as though he were forcing the situation, for Mama van Loer's sake. He has some business to settle in Brussels. He will be here in a week. It was very difficult to keep up the conversation, and he was silent. So one of your girls is engaged? she asked, tactfully diverting the talk from herself. Yes, Emily, the second. Emily! He beckoned to his daughter. Emily came up, bringing Van Raven with her. May I introduce Mr. Van Raven and Constance? Van Raven, and she gave him her hand. My best wishes for your happiness, Emily. Thank you, aunt. And there's another wedding in prospect, said Mamma. Florcher and Dykerhoff. And she beckoned to Florcher, who introduced Dykerhoff. Meanwhile, the members of the family tried to behave as usual. They talked together, as though in ordinary conversation. Uncle Reuvener arranged the parties at the card tables. Carol, Tutti, Louise, Gerrit, Bertha, Cato, Van Satsuma, Ernst. His voice marshalled the troops. 
The younger generation were put to play round games at a long table in the conservatory. Constance gave a soft laugh. What a lot of us there are, Mamma, at your Sundays. What a lot of us. The word had a special charm for her. Meanwhile, Uncle Roivener was teasing his two old sisters. Come, Brincha and Tincha, don't you want to play bridge? What? Herman wants to know if you're going to play bridge, screamed Aunt Tina in Aunt Irina's ear. Bridge? Yes, if you want to play bridge. She is so deaf, Herman. They won't remember me, said Constance, speaking of the old aunts. They must have forgotten me in these twenty years. How old they have grown, Mamma! How old we have all grown! Bertha is grey. I'm going grey myself. And all those little nieces, all those young nephews whom I have never seen, do they always come on Sundays? Yes, child, every Sunday. There's a great kindness and affection among them all. I always think that so delightful. We are a large family. I'm glad to be here, but they are still like strangers to me. How many of us are there here, Mamma? Oh, quite thirty. Let me see. Mamma van Loa counted on her fingers. Uncle and Aunt Ruyvener, with Tootie and Dot and Poppy and Pete and young Herman. That makes seven. Then Van Nagel and Bertha with the four girls and Carol. That's seven more. Fourteen. Constance listened to her mother's addition and smiled. Twenty years. Twenty years ago. She felt as though she could have burst out sobbing, but she controlled herself, smiled, stroked Mamma's hand. Mamma, dear Mamma, I'm so glad to be back among you all. Dear child, they have all received me so nicely, so simply. Why, of course, Connie, you're their sister. Constance was silent. Doreen, with two of the young nieces, poured out the tea, brought it round. Have a cup, Constance. Milk, sugar. How familiar and pleasant it sounded, just as though she were really one of them, as though she had always been one of them. Have a cup, Constance, as if it wasn't the first cup of tea she had had there for years and years. Dear Doreen, Constance remembered her as a girl of seventeen, shy, not yet out, but even then caring, always caring for others. She was not pretty, she was even plain, ungraceful, clumsy, badly dressed. Yes, Doreen, I should like a cup. Come here, Doreen. Sit down and talk to me. The girls can see to the tea. She drew Doreen to the sofa beside her and nestled between her mother and her sister. Tell me, Doreen, do you still look after everybody so well? Do you still pour the tea? Her voice had a broken sound, full of a melancholy that permeated her simple, bantering words. Doreen made some vague reply. When I went away, said Constance, you were not seventeen. You were always cutting bread and butter for Bertha's children. Otto and Louise were seven and five then. Emily was a baby. Now she's engaged. She smiled, but her eyes were full of tears. Her breast heaved. My dear child, said the old lady. It's a long time ago, Connie, said Doreen. 
It was twenty years since anyone had called her Connie. So, you're thirty-six now, Doreen. Yes, Connie, thirty-six, said Doreen, uncomfortable as usual when anybody spoke of her, and she felt her smooth, flat hair to see if it was drawn well back. You've changed very little, Doreen. Do you think so, Connie? I'm very glad of it. Will you like me a little, Doreen? Why, of course, Connie. My dear child, said the old lady, much moved. They were all three silent for a while. Constance felt so much, was so full of the past years, that she could not have uttered another word. Why didn't you bring Addy? asked Mamma. I thought he might be too young. The two Marichas always come, and so do Adolphine's boys. We never sit up late because of the children. Then I'll bring him next time, Mamma. Doreen stole a glance at her sister and reflected that Constance was still pretty for a woman of forty-two. What a young and pretty figure, thought Doreen. But then it was a smart dress and Constance was sure to wear very expensive stays. Regular features, she was like Mamma, a clear-cut profile, dark eyes now dimmed with melancholy, very pretty white hands with rings, and her hair especially interested Doreen. It was turning into a uniform steel grey, and it curled. Connie, does your hair curl of itself? Of course not, Doreen, I wave it. What a labour! Constance gave a careless laugh. Constance always had nice hair, said Mamma proudly. Oh no, Mamma dear, I have horrid straight hair. They were silent again, and all three of them felt that they were not speaking of what lay at their hearts. Constance, what lovely rings you have! Ah, Doreen! I remember you used to admire me in the old days. When I went to a ball, you used to stand and gaze at me. But there is nothing left to admire, Doreen. I am an old stick now. My dear, said Mamma indignantly. You needn't mind, Mamma. You're always young, a young grandmamma. And she pressed Mamma's hand with a touching fervour. Translator's Notes Nonna, a half-caste. Rice table, the lunch or tiffin of the Dutch East Indies, consisting of rice with a great variety of spiced meats and vegetables. Kwekwe, cakes. Allah, lord. Kassian, poor dear. End of chapter 2